Hi everyone, and welcome back to Intel Reports Pulse Update, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss what's up, what's down, what's working and not working, and generally keep our finger on the pulse of the internet and how it's holding up week over week. So this week we're going to be discussing uh, some back-end infrastructure work and some other back-end related issues, uh, DBS and Citibank outages, plus some Japanese bank outages. Uh, we're also going to be discussing Microsoft Exchange and some Google platform disruptions. So joining me to discuss all this this week is Bernie Claremont, my good friend, colleague, and senior solutions engineer here at Thousand Eyes. Welcome back to the Pulse Update podcast. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. So with that, let's start with the download, my TLDR summary of what to know about the internet this week in just a few minutes or less. So we're constantly striving for these simple customer experiences where you just click on something and everything appears on your screen there. But these hide a complex backend of assets, services, containers, APIs, and anyone breaking that chain, any incident that occurs in any one of those components uh, can actually cause significant degradations. So that's why it's important to have quick identifications of the issues. So if you identify where the issue is, you can actually determine the best course of action, which on some occasions may actually be to wait for it actually to resolve itself rather than to go through and activate a, a backup system. So this has sometimes been the case in some recent issues we've, we've seen, which include a data center plant upgrade, which impacted a banking and a telephony services, as well as some back-end hardware replacements, which has disabled some interbank transfers. So the first one that you want to talk about really uh, occurred in, in Singapore, and it impacted some uh, major banks being DBS and Citibank, again within Singapore itself, along with a cellular telco network, Red One. Um, they experienced an outage when a, uh, a chiller upgrade at a particular uh, facility, an Equinix facility in Singapore, didn't quite go as planned. So the outage started on the afternoon of Saturday, the October the 14th, but the services weren't fully recovered until the following morning. And we'll chat more about what happened and why later in the episode. So the next outage was a major Japanese interbank communication system uh, where they faced a two-day outage that impacted a number of Japanese banks. So the outage started on October the 10th and reportedly de uh, uh, delayed between 1.4 million and 2 million outbound uh, remittances. Uh, the incident actually occurred due to uh, processing errors after systems relay co uh, computers, so the, the, the computers in the middle to actually relay that the systems were replaced. So we had Google uh, Cloud VM Engine, where they experienced a three-hour downtime on October the 18th. Now, this was actually due to a, a loss of multiple VPC circuits, uh, and this occurred within the Sydney data center, which caused connectivity issues for stretch clusters and disconnections of hosts within vCenter. Services were restored after Google um, uh, brought back up a backup transit link, but some customers may have experienced a residual impact. Again, the impact was sort of local. It impacted these areas within Sydney and said it was actually restored uh, uh, after they um, uh, brought up the, the transit link there. So rounding out our TLDR this week, on October 11th, some Exchange Online users had issues with sent emails not actually being sent. Now, Microsoft acknowledged the delays in receiving external email messages in Exchange, and at the time of this podcast recording, are still investigating whether it was actually related to issues within a back-end SQL infrastructure. Now, the impacted users may have actually seen a server busy error messages. And what Thousand Eyes observed was timeouts in our tests where messages would appear to complete normally, but then hang behind the scenes. So that's it for the download for this week. Now let's dive deeper into one of these outages and some of the recent trains we've seen. As always, we've included chapter links in the description box below, so you can skip ahead to any sections that are most interesting to you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, we'd please like you to go and subscribe. In fact, we'd love you to subscribe. It really helps us out. And also make sure that you know when the latest episode actually drops. So please feel free to email us at internetreport at with any questions, feedback, or any suggestions you actually want for the podcast. And with that, now let's take a look at the overall outage trains we've been seeing. So 
So during a two week period from October the 9th to the 22nd, the number of global outages slightly increased and then decreased. So in that first week, which is October 9th to the 15th, the number of outages worldwide rose from 184 to 192, which actually represents around 4% increase compared to the previous week, which was October 2nd to the 8th. However, in that following week, the observed outages dropped 15%, uh, decreasing from 192 to 163. Yeah, Mike, I always find it interesting to, you know, take a look at these outage trends and, you know, looking at the U.S. outages, um, you know, and the way they look, you know, they didn't actually follow that global trend um, over the last two weeks. Instead, you know, that slight increase followed by the bigger decrease, we actually saw the U.S. outages increase and then just level off and plateau. So initially, you know, from 69 to 75, which is about a 9% increase, you know, when compared to the October 2nd to the 8th, um, you know, however, in the next week, October 16th to the 22nd, the outages remained, you know, roughly around the same level, like the 75 range. And the other thing I actually want to note here is that between October 9th and 22nd, and sort of bang on what you said there, the US-based outages accounted for 42% of all observed outages. Now, this is actually in line with a trend observed almost every two weeks since April uh, uh, 2023, where the US-based outages have been pretty consistently accounted for at least 40% of all observed outages in a given two-week period. Now, this actually differs from previous year, where we've actually sort of seen it below that 40%. Yeah, that's a, that's a great note. You know, I mean, also, you know, the thought was interesting around the fact that you know we saw a brief departure from this trend in the previous two weeks, September twenty fifth through the October eighth period. You know, now yeah. we're back to the usual forty percent plus. You know, above the numbers we're seeing. You know, I kind of wonder if we see additional fluctuations and departures from these trends as we head into the final months of the year. I mean, especially as you think about change control freezes for, you know, Black Friday, you know, the holiday season. People don't want to actually have to, you know be on call all the time and have to deal with outages. So there's, there's always those change freezes towards the end of the year for the holiday season. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, uh, we don't want to be on call to deal with those outages, but at the same time, the companies can't <laughs> afford those outages. Because as you mentioned, things like Black Friday uh, and sort of f from, a, from a commercial perspective, and then we're getting into the holiday season as well, where we probably goes into, we don't want to be called out. But equally, uh, you know, we don't want to have the internet down at that moment in time. Exactly. So with that, let's discuss one of the outages we saw the last two weeks as we go under the hood. So in Singapore, the major banks, uh, DBS and Citibank, along with the cellular telco Red One, they faced outages which were due to a chiller upgrade that went wrong. Uh, now this occurred at the Equitix facility. The outage actually occurred on October the 14th and services were actually restored the following morning so what I actually want to do is actually want to sort of dive in and show you what that looked like uh, within within the Thousand Eyes platform. And for those of you that actually aren't familiar with Thousand Eyes, it's a platform that gives you a great view of the entire digital su supply chain. So we're able to see what's going on across the internet itself. Uh, we have Thousand Eyes agents across the internet providing us with multiple vantage points. So we can see disruptions that are happening both at the network and application level and at server levels there. So with this visibility, it actually allows you to see specifically what's happening across holistically across the, the, the environment allowing you to understand what's what's occurring so you can make changes you can take know what action you're going to take basically identify where the problem is or areas where you can optimize going forward all right so we're now looking at the thousand science platform what i wanted to do bernie was actually start coming in from internet insights so internet insights is that view where i'm going to take all the data in so this is if i'm looking outside i haven't had to instrument anything i'm actually a holistic view of what's going on now, what I can see at the top, well, the, the first thing I should probably say is what I've actually done is I'm looking here at application outages. So we know that the applications that were impacted were Citibank, DBS, and we said with the cellular telco, Red One as well. So what I've actually done here is I've actually got looking filtered down on, on Citibank. Um, so I can actually see 
their customer-facing applications or these applications that would essentially sort of served out of uh, out of here or to see where I had issues from there. So if I look at this top timeline, time bear here, it actually shows me the duration. Now we talked about this actually going out. What I'm showing here is one hour, five minutes. It shows me it's affecting three servers. What we're actually looking at here is specifically what happened in terms of identifying where the outage was occurring and sort of who how it was impacting. So we're showing here that 100% packet loss, uh, or sorry, we're actually showing here the application disruption that was occurring there. Why this actually then went on for two days was because we'd have actually seen beyond that, the service would have been diverted. Um, we could have actually used other servers to actually sort of get the, the performance back up. So this is why we're actually only showing an hour and a half when we actually stated we're looking at sort of a, a, a two day outage there. So the first thing, Bernie, I want to just, just comment on there is, is, again, that's the only filter I've got on here. I've actually, all I've got in there is looking at sort of the Citibank application. But I can see on the left-hand side here, what I'm actually looking in this Sankey diagram is I can actually then see all the regions that are impacted. So these are regions where we have um, uh, 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 agents looking and testing to this, this application, uh, and there we can actually sort of see where those regions are impacted. And the first thing that strikes me here is that they are all in one region, as in they're all in sort of the APJC, so I can see them, them, them occurring there. Um, so yeah, what does that tell us basically? I mean, that definitely says folks in that region are having a problem accessing the city um, for sure, and they're probably calling in or you know trying to refresh or you know connect back in for their transactions. So you know, I think the, one of the powerful things with you know Internet Insights is just the simple fact that you can quickly isolate down these larger outages and be able to tell like, hey, I'm this is a big outage and these are the people that are affected or these are the regions or locations that are going to be calling in or having issues so that you can mitigate that quickly. Exactly. Or sort of fake steps. So I said, you know, if you go back to that one and a half hours, one hour, five minutes, sorry, I apologize there, one hour, five one hour, five minutes, the, the, the sort of the the, uh, the duration of this disruption we're actually seeing there. Um, this is, we can see here, these are the people that have been impacted, these are regionally impacted. So therefore, exactly what you said, we can now start to understand what processes we want to put in place, how we mitigate this issue, how we work around it. You know, we said at the top of the show, there may be instances where we do nothing, uh, uh, you know, because the restora restoration time is going to be quicker than it would for us to uh, start a backup uh, system or to move there or to re-advertise our network out from there. But again, what we'd like to do this, if, if you think about, we've got a, um, a, um, a field full of haystacks. So multiple haystacks, uh, we need to not just find where that needle is, we need to find which haystack we need to look in for that needle first of all. And that's what I like to think of sort of internet, internet insights allows us to do. So actually look at those, that field to pick out the haystack where we need to go, and then we'll go and look and, and identify that needle. Absolutely. Yeah, it's I mean, the other thing, too, is breaking down the application versus the network. So you quickly know that this is an application related issue, not a network related problem. It's a great point. Yeah, I actually didn't point that out. As I said, I'm actually looking at the applications and therefore I'm looking at servers impacted. So with that, and that's actually a great segue, let's actually take a little bit further in there. So we send this application, but let's just sort of confirm how that manifests itself by going down to into that needle to have a look at what it looks like uh, at, at a more granular level. All right, Bernie, so as we said, so we got those, those with haystacks, we've actually gone in. I'm now looking at an individual test. I've started to come down to specifically see what's happening on that area there. So the top here, this is a detailed view. I've drilled down essentially from the Internet Insights. So I've identified that 
under those, um, I've got server timeouts sitting within the, the server itself. We know we've identified the region, and now I'm actually looking down from here. So the first thing I see on the timeline, and I've gone straight in from, um, I, I've sort of come up, we've already identified that we're looking potentially an application. I want to just make sure where that, that fold actually lies, basically. So I could look at HTTP server. What that's going to show me is unavailability. So I'm just going to see sort of a, a, a blank there. So what I want to do is then let's just confirm the network. So I've gone into path visualization. So straight away at the top here, again, I can see that correlation in terms of time, and I'm looking at 100% packet loss. So when I see 100% packet loss, to me, that means there's some sort of break in the network. Now, again, we've talked about it being an application level. So this indicates to me that I can't get to that endpoint. Is that a fair assumption? No, absolutely, Mike. I mean, I think, you know, when these outages happen, it's it's really critical to be able to figure out, is this the app team or is it the network team you need to be able to be involved in this to resolve it? And also having a baseline over time is really nice. So Thousand Eyes gives you that baseline to go back and see what did this look like before when it was working? Now here's the outage. Did it repair itself or was it repaired? Is it behaving the same way as a service responding the same way? Exactly, exactly. Again, I've mentioned this many times on the podcast. I'm a man of very simple, <laughs> a network engineer, very simply. <laughs> and if I look at the patterns, if the pattern differs from one to the other, okay, we can see that it's very easy then to identify what's going on. A picture paints a thousand words, as they say. So then as, as, I, as we go in, so I'm actually looking there at this, the, the, the trace uh, sorry, the path visualization where it comes. So coming from the left-hand side where I have my node, first of all, I can actually see these are sort of showing me that I've actually got their red. So this is actually failed, it's timed out. This test is, 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 is not uh, 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 finishing, basically, where it goes through there. So then I go through my various hops. I can identify as, as it transits through the various providers to actually get to this point where I'm actually then serving into the data center in this place or the application where it's hosted. At this point, remember, we don't know where it's actually hosted. Uh, uh, but typically we're dealing on sort of with any cast where we're directed to the one that's most local to our environment. So we're going specifically, if I'm coming from that region, I want to connect into an application and it may have a, 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 um, a designation specifically for that, which will also be served out from there. But if it's a general one, I'd be going straight to my local or the, the most, uh, the closest um, uh, hosting environment to where I'm actually making the request from. And that is obviously to keep down latency and those types of aspects there. So again, with that, I come to the, the side there and I can see that all of these then start to terminate. This is looking at a forwarding loss there, terminating in Singapore. Uh, and then the only exception to that is if I come from the Kuala Lumpur, from the Malaysian one, where I actually then come to, into Kuala Lumpur. But if you think of the geography of that, it is literally just across the causeway from Singapore and, there, uh, and, and relatively close geographically. So that would be my last hop. The point of that is I'm actually really close to that data center and I can see the dotted line at the end there which, which shows me that I don't have any connection. So I can see from this and I can start to break down and again I'll throw this out to you Bernie if I'm taking my hypothesis here it's because I have a forwarding loss from here the next logical thing is that I actually can't reach where that application is hosted because it's in that data center. Definitely, something's broken between where that provider is dropping off to where the application is in the data center, and so that's where we—that's the last point we can show any traffic to. All right. So what we saw there, you know, we we narrowed it down. You, you what you actually said there, we can see it's not um, 
a network per se, i.e. it's not in the internet coming down from there, but we saw that forwarding loss occurring at that last hop. Uh, and so then what we, we say from there, okay, it's, it's actually in that data center. And if we then look across other applications in there, everything's within that facility, we can tie it down to that area there. Now, we subsequently know from there that it was actually this, this calling system that sort of failed. Um, uh, and it was been documented there, it was at the Equinix data center, um, where they actually went offline. offline uh, and this was sort of due to, to upgrade work. Now, the, 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 the point I want to make here, or the, the question I want to ask you there is that we're starting to see, or, or this is this occurrence, when we think about technology, we, we thought about, we went through that process, is an application, is a network, but there's also these outside influences that can start to have an impact or, or detrimental impact. You know, remembering we're putting all this stuff in data centers, in this case, it was a cooling system. Now, the, the, the throwback to the cooling system was if it's, if we're, um, underpowered or it's not uh, it's not uh, running as it should be then the temperature rises and then we can have all sorts of things occur you know we, we, we might have to shut down various racks in the system um, we might to, to uh, uh, we, we, we may uh, it may just crash because it overheats therefore we get this ungraceful shutdown which causes all sorts of problems when we try to bring systems coming back up as we've seen sort of previously there so I guess the the, the point well, I'm rambling on here Bernie but the point I want to make or the question I want to ask is there um, how do we have to consider what are these outside influences that, that might come into play that you wouldn't ordinarily think about but you use these as sort of indicators to identify yeah, that's kind of like the Murphy's Law kind of thought or, you know, I mean, some companies will use something called like Chaos Monkey where, you know, they'll they'll do an outage yeah. time period where they won't tell people what's going to break and it just dynamically breaks things and they see if their services really are resilient as a result of that. Um, you know, it, it's a great way to really test things to see if see if it all works properly. Yeah. And and on that as well, it's funny, actually, the, the, the we talk about a Chaos Monkey, so he goes around and... Takes Just out a service, so we can see the resilience there. <laughs> yeah, he randomly picks stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a very a comedian's routine to have in my head there. But uh, but 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 it also is, is kind of, and you can plan. It's chaos engineering, right? So we can plan for things being shut down. Now, when something that that we don't have any sort of control over, um, yeah, you know, the temperature rising, the, the outside, the cooling system has has a jump in. Then we get these situations where um, it's the it is as, as much as we've been able to sort of plan for chaos, it's, a, it's almost like, and please excuse the pun or the analogy there, it's a perfect storm. We get a rising temperature uh, uh, coinciding with, um, like I say, a failing in a, in a cooling or chilling system there. Uh, there might be a, a situation where uh, we, the, the chiller trips out, we actually can't get to reset the chiller or the engineer who's trying to reset the chiller uh, uh, can't actually uh, uh, get to site. You know, he, he's, he's unavailable or his phone doesn't go off. So you can have all these things coming. And in that situation, uh, you almost have to start to put in different processes. So you have to say, okay, this is a situation. How can we assess what's going on? And this is that component where I'm talking about um, uh uh, do nothing, you know, and, and this is what happened in some cases is so, you know, we, we actually talked about the, the early on, there was there was considerations whether do they activate the backup systems, but it's at what point to activate those those alternate data centers or re-advertise my network out from there. So I guess you have to be able to assess what's going on so you can actually make a, make a, a decision of what action to take. No, exactly. And usually you'll have that war room, right? And you'll have somebody who's running that and they'll have strict, I mean, especially with larger companies, you'll have a very, you know, actionable plan associated with, hey, at this point, this is when we 
you know, mitigate this by following this particular path. Um, you know, I remember back in the day having, you know, a DR strategy and we would test our failover. Usually we test our failover, obviously, you know, outside of business hours on a weekend where it wasn't like a Black Friday event or something like that. So you reduced your, yeah. your risk. Um, I think the first time we tested that mitigation plan, it failed miserably. And we found that, you know, we didn't have a good resilient recovery plan. Um, so we had to like update a lot of those things. And, and I think some of that also comes nowadays of being able to engineer that into your platform, engineer it into your application, whether it auto scales, things like that. Right. Um, you know, like you said, exactly. with any cast as well, being able to fail over or fail over to another provider or have a multi-cloud solution. Absolutely. That, that's actually a really good point. You bring up a couple of excellent points there. So yeah, you're testing your failover story might I'm so old Bernie I actually go back one of our failover systems was actually to unload the tapes off the machine get in a car drive <laughs> to another country and restart the data and I think it took us two days to do that so you went across there but it, but it's also there's a couple of things in here is that you mentioned the war room, right, which is really, really, really critical. And the war room can't be this situation where we're constantly pointing fingers. You've got to come from an informed perspective. So identifying, here it is, here's a region we've we've impacted. To your point, we can also, we can, we can take that and learn lessons from that. What do we automate in the future? Okay, when this occurred, when this situation occurred, and you can have multiple situations that all result in the same outcome, we want to take the following steps. Okay, all right, we, we, we want to actually, let's call out the engineers. Now, in this case, um, Red One, for example, actually called their engineers out. They made that assessment and actually took longer than they expected to get things up, up and going. And so the quicker I can identify this, I can identify here it is, what process we need to take, and then these are lessons I learned for next time, which is what you say. Let's improve our resilience plan. Let's, um, let's let's automate certain aspects of this so I don't need to wait for an engineer to get to site, if that is at all possible. Because again, the nature of the outage or nature of uh, the, the, the failure may not always be possible. But if I have an informed view, if I understand where it is and I can quickly identify it, the quicker it is I can actually mitigate it or, or, um, or, or work around it. If you set up, once you do a post-mortem, you can see what are the things that went wrong? How do we mitigate this in the future to make it so that it's you know more automated or more seamless? And I mean, there's some things you just, you know, um, can't account for sometimes. It's like, well, maybe that engineer yeah. was sick or maybe he's on vacation and that was the primary engineer. And that's where you identify where you have bottlenecks, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's where things like Chaos Monkey, uh, Chaos Engineering, and all this comes in, in into play. And you start to identify these things. And then, like you say, you're always going to get these, these external conditions, as it were, or external circumstances that you can't plan for. But if, you are, but if you're able to at least to compartmentalize that, or what I can't say, if you're actually able to sort of, sort of narrow that down and say, this is the area we're looking for, then we can sort of um, take action or the appropriate action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's mitigation and just reducing your uh, plane of risk. It's connecting the dots, really. I mean, it comes down to what, you know, as, especially as we look at, you know, the applications, as you mentioned, be, as they become simpler, they become more complex on the back end. You have microservices, all these different containers and things that are running on different systems that are inter, interconnected, and they might even rely on third-party services. So I think one of the other things, too, is really instrumenting what your dependencies are internally, but also externally what your dependencies are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Bernie, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, and I hope to have you back real soon. Always happy to help out and talk about the outages, Mike. Thanks, mate.
So that's our show. Please like and subscribe and we really appreciate it. And it is valuable to us. I said at the top of the show, um, it not only ensures that you you are notified as soon as a new episode drops, but it also really helps us shape the content of the show for you. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at Thousand Eyes. And as I said, any questions, feedback, guests, or general information you want to provide to us, please send us a note at internetreport at thousandeyes.com. And so until next time, goodbye.